Well, good afternoon or morning whenever you decide to listen to this podcast. This is Chris Keel doing the latest ASA podcast, Keeping It Real with Dr. Keel. Jeez, I'll never get used to that title. So anyway, it's a new year. How exciting, how amazing that it looks a whole lot like the last year. Um, economics rarely pays much attention to calendar changes. And of course, it hasn't paid any attention to this one either. So the subject for today is fairly broad. And it's something that we've all been watching pretty closely over the last several months. And that is inflation. Um, the latest numbers that have come in from the European Union are positive as they have been coming in from the U.S. We seem to have reached a peak when it comes to global inflation. The inflation rate in Europe for the last two or three months has been over 10%, and then this month it fell to 92 Not exactly dancing in the streets number, 92 is still very high inflation, but it's like with the U.S. where we were sitting at 8% plus, and now we're at about 7.1. So it's better, uh, not that it means that the inflation threat has ended, but it is exactly what we had expected to see at the end of last year when some of the big pressure points for inflation began to ease. The number one driver for this reduction has been energy. And we noticed that it was the number one driver at the beginning of the year because that's what was spiking inflation so hard in January, February. And we all know the drill. We know what this was all about. This was the reaction to the sanctions on Russia and the sudden shortage of gas and fuel and diesel and everything else in Europe. But in the intervening months, we've seen a a kind of a a restructuring, I guess, of the energy sector. In the first place, the sanctions on Russia didn't have as much of an impact on production as we thought they might. Uh, There was an expectation, at least on the market side, that there'd be a dramatic decline in the amount of oil produced by Russia. There hasn't been. Russia is right about where they have been for the last several years in terms of production because they have found other countries to sell to. They're not selling to Europe. Europe, well, actually, they still are to a degree. Some of the countries in Europe just don't have an alternative to Russian oil and have continued to buy, not as much as they used to, but they're still buying. But Russia has been selling a great deal more to China, to India, to countries around the world that have not participated in the sanctions. So some of that pressure that we thought would be applied hasn't really manifested. And you've seen oil prices kind of respond. The market is changing its expectations. It said, hey, in the beginning, we thought there was going to be this huge loss of capacity because the second largest oil producer in the world wouldn't be producing as much oil. Well, it turns out that they are producing. It's just that the marketing and the selling has changed where the Russians were predominantly selling into Europe and selling into Asia to a degree, they've switched and now they sell a whole lot more to China, India, etc. You've seen countries that were kind of on the outs as far as oil production like Iran and Libya and Algeria finding new markets because the Europeans didn't want to buy oil from Russia, so they began buying oil from those nations, nations that they had been 
pretty much boycotting up until now. And even the U.S. got in on this because we started talking to the Venezuelans for the first time in decades and saying, hey, we need oil too. The upshot of all this is that production levels stayed pretty high. And at that stage, you began to see not a real oil glut, but the beginning of a capacity shift. So by the time you get to now, <clears throat> oil prices have started to come down, and we've watched this for the last several weeks. I mean, the per barrel price is down low 70s uh, with West Texas Intermediate. It's been mid-70s for Brent crude. We've seen the price at the pump ameliorate. It's down to mid-twos. Uh, in my area, it's like 260, 270 nationwide, maybe three and a quarter. So a lot of that inflationary pressure from energy has dissipated. Where we're now seeing inflation pressure is on the wage side. And this is what has the central banks continuing to be concerned and reluctant to start changing their rate policy. Now, they have to a degree, because if you listen to what the Fed said at its last meeting, when they decided to raise rates by only half a point as opposed to three-quarters of a point, they acknowledged that inflation was becoming a little less of an issue. They knew that those numbers were coming down. But they quickly reiterated that the threat is not dissipated entirely because now it's coming from something that's a lot stickier and a lot harder to contend with, and that's wages. The only way that wages come down literally is with with layoffs. I mean, once you have given somebody a raise... You can't go back on it. You can't say, hey, I paid you $15 an hour, but I don't want to anymore. I'm going to pay you 10 You're stuck. I mean, they're going to continue to make the money that you've offered them unless they lose their job altogether. And then when you start to hire new people, you can start them at lower wages if you want to, if you can. But as everybody in the manufacturing sector knows, uh, there's a worker shortage. And you're not going to be able to find people at bargain rates. These people are going to have leverage and they're going to use it. And that's going to keep wages relatively high. So when you listen to the central banks, they're all saying, yep, we definitely see energy prices down. We see general decline in commodities. We see shipping rates coming down. <clears throat> we see factory gate prices coming down. This is all good news. However, we're watching wages, and we're also expecting this is going to be a fairly challenging year when it comes to labor negotiations. You're seeing that in Europe already. Uh, this has been described by some as the winter of discontent. Uh, a lot of unions have already gone on strike. Many others are threatening to go on strike. They want increases. And they're in a position to demand it because there's no ready alternative. When you look at how companies are responding to all of this, it's been a mix. Um, some companies don't have any real option but to pay the going rate, and that's adding to their labor costs dramatically. Others are looking at technology as they have been for the last several years, robotics and all of that growing dramatically. I've talked often about the fact that we've seen really high capital spending numbers, record numbers. And that is almost entirely driven by this move towards automation, technology, robotics. 
But to be honest, not everything can be done by a robot. I mean, not everything can be handled with technology. There's still going to be a workforce issue, and that workforce gets more and more expensive. Some sectors are a lot more sensitive to it than others. So as we go into 2023, I think there's three trends that we can expect to see manifesting. Trend number one, inflation is going to continue to slowly erode. I think we have hit peak, and at this point, it's going to start heading down, but not particularly fast. Trend number two is that wages will continue to rise, and that will be the driver of inflation for 2023. It's going to be more intense in some sectors than others. You'll probably see a little bit of decline in wages in some of the kind of low-skill jobs that are more vulnerable to automation and robotics. And number three trend will be what interest rates do. The Fed, the European Central Bank, Bank of Canada, Bank of England, all of them are now kind of relaxing and they're they're putting a, not a halt to their rate increases, but they're slowing them down, as we saw, half point instead of three-quarter point. Traditionally, once you've hit peak, you'll start to see rates come down eight to nine months later. So if we indeed hit peak in December of last year, which it looks like we did, we're looking at rates starting to come back down maybe September, October, somewhere in that range, possibly even sooner. Kind of depends on on the attitude of the central bank in question. The Europeans tend to be a little bit more inflation sensitive than the U.S., but we'll see. Um, some of the leading hawks within the U.S. Fed have retired and doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to shift policy, but there's an opportunity for that to happen. So going forward, I think we're beginning to see a improvement on the inflation front, which means a little less of a threat from a recession perspective, but it's not going to be rapid. It's not something we're going to see in the first and second quarter look more towards the third for anything really dramatic. And with that, I leave you with the first podcast of the year. Goodness knows what we'll be talking about in the next two weeks. Hopefully something good. You never know. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk again.